I have a question for you today for those who are in a relationship. I'll ask almost the same question to those who are not in a minute. Why are you in a relationship? What motivates you to be, to stay in that relationship? Is it a choice, like a real choice, conscious, updated recently and regularly? Now here's the question for those who are not in a relationship at the moment. Do you want to be in a relationship? Once again, is it a real choice, something you know you want? And if you do, why? What is pushing you to find a partner? Let's pause for a second and think about this a little bit. I would argue that knowing exactly why we are doing things or why we want things is probably the most valuable piece of knowledge we need if we're aiming for a happy life. What are the real reasons, the motivations behind our goals and ambitions in life? Whether we are in a relationship or not, there is all sorts of pressure around us to fit in, to follow our peers. The country we live in, the city we live in, the neighborhood we live in. It's all pushing us to follow a certain path, our social origins, shit, even our income has a big influence. It's like walking in a very busy street where the stream of people is carrying us all in the same direction. It can be very hard to divert, even a bit scary. It's fair to say that there are expectations for single people and people in relationships. All these expectations are what we call social pressure. If you're single, you should enjoy life and go on dating apps. If you are in a relationship, then it's about publicizing your happiness on social media and follow the traditional path of getting married, having babies, and live happily ever after. I'm generalizing a little bit here, of course, but this is pretty much the model. This is what's considered the best case scenario. And we need to be aware of that phenomenon if we really want to understand why we are doing the things we do. So I'm going back to the point I'm trying to make. That model is only an option, not necessarily a bad option to be fair, but it's only right if it's right for us individually. It's a possibility, not a necessity. It is very difficult to choose a different path than the majority, but to avoid living a life that's not really ours, we should ask ourselves regularly why we're doing the things we do and whether they make us happy or not. Our relationship status is one of the things that we should question even more often. Am I happy or am I settling? Am I living this life to make myself happy or to please someone else? All this is very easy to say and very difficult to do. I guess the key is to ask those questions to ourselves kindly and keep the answers as honest as possible. Abby got together with Scott when she was 19 and their relationship lasted for four years. Why did it last that long? Unfortunately, that's a question Abby had to ask herself many times over the past few years, and even up until today. So it was 2009, I must have been. I was 19. Um, I was studying at the time through in Glasgow, but I had a summer job at a restaurant through in Edinburgh for the festival. And this guy, Scott, was there. And he had been there the summer before. And I guess this year we seemed to be sort of paired on the same kind of shifts and got to know each other. And I guess there was a bit of flirting and stuff like that. Because I was like 19 and I suppose then you maybe don't really know how to like communicate with someone that you fancy them. I'd only really had like one boyfriend before. And so I was like super young then, so you don't really know what to do. Um, And I remember we just sort of slagged each other off loads. That was kind of, I think, the way that we were like, oh, I kind of fancy you. And 
I can't remember what it was, but we had like a running joke. I couldn't tell you what it was. And there was one shift that I was in and he wasn't and something had happened related to that joke. And I was like, oh, I'd quite like to tell him. So I just, there was like a staff book that had everyone's phone numbers in it. So I just went and I took his phone number and I texted him. But at that point I had no really strong feelings that like, oh, I need to get a boyfriend or whatever. I was just still like having fun at uni and like in going out with my mates and stuff like that. So I don't think I was like, there was a real strong pull or sense of, yeah, I'd really like a boyfriend. It kind of just happened. So we'd been on a first date. I went to the cinema. Was it Transformers? We went to go see. Anyway, went to the cinema and over in Dunfermline, which was quite exciting because I never went to Dunfermline before. And I remember we didn't like kiss at the end of the day and I immediately sort of assumed that, oh, it's not really going that well. But I don't remember being like that bothered. But then he'd text me sort of immediately and say, oh, like we should do that again. Like I'd regret not kissing you or whatever. So then I met up with him again. I can't remember where we went first of all, but then I remember he took me on a walk and we walked to this castle and then when we got to the castle, um, he kissed me. But I remember him like really shaking, like with nerves. And I had chewing gum in. I remember he started to kiss me and then he was like, oh, you have chewing gum in. I was like, oh, big deal. Like, this is fine. So I never like had to take my chewing gum out. Anyway, so it kind of, I don't know, the moment was a bit stilted, I guess. But I remember then like we walked back to his car and we were holding hands. And I guess at that moment it was nice because I'd been like, oh, we kissed and that's cool and yeah that was nice that moment and again because I wasn't that experienced in relationships it was just um, this is what a relationship is like and we hung out and we did shifts together at the restaurant or he would come meet me at the train station and walk me up I remember once he had bought me a can of Red Bull and I thought that was sweet I was like (laughs) and so we'd been on like a couple of dates and he asked me, he was like, oh yeah, so what is this? Like, are we like boyfriend and girlfriend? But I remember when I got, got the text that he said, shall we be boyfriend and girlfriend? I was out like in a club, quite drunk. I had like one eye closed looking at my phone and I was like, um, okay. Like, and I just sort of responded and that was it, I guess. I don't think there was anything, well, there definitely wasn't anything grand or romantic about it. It was just kind of, we'd been in a couple of dates and we saw each other loads because we worked together, so... That was his boyfriend and girlfriend, I guess. I mean, this sounds awful, and I don't agree with this now, but I remember the first boyfriend that I'd had had been quite sensitive, and actually that's a quality that I appreciate very much in guys now, but I think then wasn't deemed to be attractive. And then when I met Scott, he was kind of more like the stereotypical kind of gruff guy and he was a bit cheeky. And I remember in my 19-year-old head, manly, and I kind of, I craved that because, I don't know, pretty delicate women and gruff masculine man. Here's someone that I find physically attractive and we spend a lot of time together. I knew that I like lusted after him and I think when I, you were at an age that though that kind of sense is heightened, I guess. But it's funny, I remember, now that I'm saying this, that one of the chefs in the restaurant pulled me aside one day and he's like, you just need to know that Scott is a wolf. And th- this guy always spoke in, like, riddles. I had no idea what he meant. He was like, he's a wolf, he's not a sheep. I was like, right. And I mean, and probably to my 19-year-old brain, I was like, oh, yeah, masculine man, wolf. Why would I not want a wolf? A wolf is just what I want. 
I think I was his first girlfriend. He had told me about this other girl that he'd been with before, but for some reason I didn't believe him. I think he had told me because um, he didn't want it to seem like I was his first relationship. I can remember before we had first um, slept together and he had asked me like how many sexual partners I'd had before and I told him like I'm quite an open person and he had said that he had been with the same and then I eventually found out that he had lied and I had been the only person he had slept with and he would often make a point of telling me what I slut I was like for him not having been the first person I'd like slept with and stuff so there were moments like there are key you know we went out for four years there are key points throughout the relationship that really stick in my head that are like wow that is so fucked up and that is so cruel and I and I think throughout the whole relationship I was always aware that it wasn't right we spent a lot of time together and at the start like I introduced him to my friends and when we left my friends he would always be like mm, I don't really know what I think about her like you know that was weird when she said that and I don't know. I think that was the beginning to start put the the barriers up between me and my friends. That happened for a little while and then I couldn't really be bothered with the hassle of like introducing him to my mates. And then I remember my mates were kind of like, he didn't drink and we were like a group of friends that like drank a lot. So he had come to the pub one night and had sat there kind of like a face like this, hadn't really made an effort to socialise with people. And my friends were kind of like, oh, like, is he all right? He doesn't really seem like he's having that great a time. And I was like, oh, no, no, he's fine. And I remember, like, being really embarrassed but trying to defend him and be like, oh, I think he's just, you know, maybe not feeling well or whatever. And then as time went on, I guess, it became more of why hanging out, she's annoying. And then it gra- like, gradually became, why do you want to hang out with her instead of me? You hanging out with her just tells me that you don't want to hang out with me. it didn't take me that long but it was probably as little as like within eight weeks a couple of months that I I kind of started to recognize these like controlling behaviors and there was one day I'd been around his and he was on my phone and I didn't really think much of that whatever like I don't have anything on my phone or at least I thought I didn't have anything on my phone that would upset anyone and he was going through my text messages apparently looking at the ones that he had sent and he had noticed that the night before I had been texting one of my mates who happened to be a guy. And I remember Scott had turned around and said, like, it upsets me that you would text another guy after me to say goodnight. And I remember just thinking, like, oh, that's weird. But I was like, OK. Like, I, I was kind of, you know, I was a bit shocked that I had upset him and I felt bad that I had upset him. And I was like, oh, I'm, like, I'm sorry, but I'm OK. Like, I won't do it again. My best friend at the time, who I no longer have a relationship with, got upset with me. It was one Christmas and normally every Christmas we would hang out together loads, particularly on Boxing Day. Um, There's this big party in the town that I'm from and we always went together each year. I remember Scott said, I want to hang out with you on Boxing Day. And I was like, oh, well, there's, you know, this party on. And he's like, I don't want to go to that. And I was like, well, I kind of do. And he was like, well, I can't, I don't remember how the conversation went. It was so long ago, but essentially I stayed in with him on Boxing Day. And I got this text from Emma being like, I feel like you never want to hang out with me. Like, you've totally ditched us for Scott. Again, I just felt like a shit person, like I'd let her down, but I didn't know how to communicate. Or maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't realise at the time. It's not like I don't want to see you, like I really want to see you. 
I can't, I can't tell you like the grief it will cause and it'll just make the day a misery because it was, even if I did manage to sort of, I don't know, see my friends, it would be text messages every five minutes. You don't reply within a minute. He sends a question mark. He phones you 40 times. Like you couldn't enjoy it. And then what time are you home? Like how much have you done? All this sort of stuff. And it wasn't fun. Like, of course I liked seeing them, but it wasn't, sounds awful to say but it wasn't worth it at the time I guess because it wasn't even that it was the hard time you got before you couldn't enjoy it during you got asked a million questions after who did you talk to who was there it was tough like and it just I don't know you just give up eventually or I did so I didn't see my friends I mean like quite quickly lost contact with a lot of my friends there was another time my uncle had been in hospital really ill like he had had like an aortic aneurysm or something like re- like really nearly died and I went to go visit him and it was all very stressful so I had maybe not been in contact with him Scott for like two hours and I came out with like a gazillion missed calls and I remember my mum was driving me home and he was on the phone like you fucking bit like screaming and my mum was like did he just call you that I was like no no and I would try I guess talk to people about it but I soon didn't because I realised that what could people do? And I, like I say, I felt so, I couldn't, I was so scared of what would happen if I left him and I just felt like I couldn't. And and I felt myself like defending him to people like, no, 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 because I knew that people would be really worried and then I don't know what they'd do and then I don't know what he'd do. So I just kind of was like, no, 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 it's fine. Basically, we'd been out for like a year and as part of my uni course, I was to go away abroad for a year and he had always known that and I remember at the start when we talked about, you know, after he had asked me out and he's like, oh, well, you're going away, aren't you? And I said, yeah, but let's just see how it goes. Like, it's a year away, that seems like a long time. And I was moving away to Spain. My brother happened to be moving away with his work as well and it was like the month of my mum and dad's wedding anniversary. So my mum and dad had like loads of people around at the house and it so happened to be one year that me and Scott had been together and I remember him being really annoyed so I said well I've got this party at my parents house come and he's like well like why like like you know we should just hang out it's our day or whatever and I was like no because it's like you know it's a big deal for my mum and I want to be there so come the party was for lots of different reasons it was to celebrate lots of different things and people of course like my mum and dad's friend wanted to ask me about me going away and before I suppose just to sort of put this into context he had always known that I was going to go away, but for like a couple of months before, he'd be like, why do you want to go away? Like, why would you want to leave me? Like, why do you even want to do that? So there was already like, I was being very actively discouraged from going. And I, would thank God, had said like, you know, I need to go. And I think I lied. I lied to him and said like, I tried to, I've tried to get out of this. I've asked my tutor and she said, no, I can't because I won't be able to get my degree. That was a lie. I didn't ask her. Of course, I didn't ask her I wanted to go. But I had to make up a story about why I wanted to go. It didn't matter that I wanted to go and then this would be like a... a you know, a great year of my life and really important to my degree. And I remember so vividly, I was sitting on the couch and one of my dad's like best friends was sitting next to me and Scott was sitting to the other side of me. And he was like, you know, how are you finding, um, you know, like your your plans for Spain? Are you looking forward to it? And all this sort of stuff. 
And Scott really audibly would be like, for fuck's sake, fucking bitch, like why is she fucking going to Spain? All this sort of stuff. And I was mortified because it was loud enough for people to hear. And I basically, and as soon as my dad's friend went away and he was like, why is everyone talking about this? And I was like, because this is the whole reason for the party. And he's like, I'm not staying, I'm not staying, I'm going to see Stormed Off. And he would always do this. He'd storm off and then he'd immediately on the phone, why are you not trying to phone me? Why are you not trying to get me back? And it would literally be within 30 seconds. So I remember spending the whole of the rest of the party like with this knot of anxiety and like feeling really fraught because I knew that like this was one of, I could tell that this was just going to be one of the ones that he would just go off and one. So I remember I waited till everyone had left the party and I'd said to mum and dad, I'm going to go round to Scotland, I'm going to go drive. Mum was like, why? Why? Like, why did he leave? And I was like, um, it's fine, it's fine. I remember dad saying like, oh, you know, it's like a tough time for them, just let her go and speak to him. And because there had been so much like grief about the whole going to Spain, I remember I'd written him a letter and I was like, I was going to give him this letter before I went, basically say like, everything's okay, you don't have anything to worry about, it's going to be fine. So I remember I walked into his house and he was going mental and he took the letter and he's like, true movie style, like scrunched it up and threw it in the bin and whatever. And then we had this big argument and I was like profusely apologising. I don't even know why, because he was the one who'd been a dick, but profusely apologising. And then he was like, go get the letter out of the bin and read it to me. And I did, because by this point, this was the the sort of things that I did. And I remember I like was really upset, like and sh- like shaken up. And I read the letter and the whole way through he laughed and he laughed and he laughed and he laughed. So you you did go to Spain? He took me to the airport and he wasn't angry, he was sad, he was crying. And I was crying maybe more out of guilt than sadness because I'd been made to feel like such an awful person for going on this trip. It was great, but he still managed to exert that control over me within, you know, with a thousand mile distance. And I remember really vividly, there was one night that we had all... um, planned to go out and it was like a glamour night so we were all getting like your best glad rags and put on you know best hair and makeup and then go out to this club that we all loved and like the whole Erasmus year was going out and I was really excited and I had said to him like I'm going out tonight um I'll phone you before I go out and I don't know whether it's because I got on Skype and I was like super dolled up and he's like where are you going I said and I told him and he's like you're not going to that I don't want you to go and I didn't go like and I remember being so upset and like I have to take all this makeup and my hair that I'd spent ages on. And it's mental to think now that, but I just felt like I couldn't, there was no other choice. I resented him so much because I knew I'd be having such a better time if he wasn't in my life, but I couldn't, I couldn't get him out of my life. And then I came back from Spain and it was just the same. And I was in my final year at uni and I'd gone from having this bit more freedom to then being back to the, the only person that you can see is him you know I had my parents who are like very loving and very you know supporting but I couldn't tell them they'd be devastated I knew they'd be devastated although I remember and I think this is when I was back from Spain basically we had been at a party Scott flew off the handle about something I think because I happened to look in the direction of where a guy was standing and that of course meant that I was doing something untoward and he stormed off but then immediately on the phone and then I had to go home because I was really stressed and I remember I was in my wardrobe like I was still living with my parents at the time and my dad could obviously hear us fighting. He came in and he said, get off the phone, get off the phone. So I had to hang up. And my dad sat me down and he was like, this isn't how relationships are supposed to be. You should still be with your friends and all this sort of stuff. And he had a chat with me. And I remember in my head, I was screaming, dad, I know, I know, I know, I know. But I can't describe it, like other than for those three and a half years, literally just wanting someone to come in with a big like crane and just lift me out of that situation and put me in a room where like he could not be in contact. 
But of course that didn't happen because I didn't tell anyone. It's strange to say now, but probably after the first six months and the relationship was four and a half years, I did not want to be in that relationship. And every birthday cake that I blew candles out on or every wish that I made would be that we broke up and that I didn't have to be in this relationship anymore. They used to do this thing that he would like pin me down and obviously like I said he was bigger than me, he'd pin me down the whole, the whole time thinking it was hilarious and he would spit and my options were that I had to open my mouth and swallow his spit or if I tried to turn my head the spit would go over my face and he'd do it all and it was just a control thing, he wanted to assert his control over me, I realise that now but and he would be hilarious and then eventually he let go, I would go mental because it was like so humiliating I would go mental mental and he would just laugh like chill out chill out don't be so like uptight it's funny whatever and it didn't matter how many times that I went mental he just wouldn't not do it The last Hogmanay that we spent together, I remember standing there as like the fireworks went off and the clock had struck midnight and I said to myself, this is the last Hogmanay that you will spend with him. You will not be here again this time next year. And I wasn't. I mean, it took me like, I'm going to say. What enabled me to like get out of it, I guess, was that Two of my friends, one of them particularly, had reached out to me because they had all arranged to go on holiday. So, and she said, do you want to come? And I was like, absolutely. And I remember when I told him, and he was like, well, obviously you're not going. And I was like, well, obviously I am. And obviously there was a fight or whatever, and I was like, nope, like you are doing this. It doesn't matter what it takes, do it. And I went, I had such a good time, and it just reminded me, like, what life was like before, I guess. Um... And of course, when I was like out there, I had to be in touch with them all the time. But like I said, it didn't detract from the experience I had. Like I had a brilliant time. Anyways, when I came back, I was still managing to see um, Susan and the people that I'd been with like quite a lot. And then it wasn't until the October I'd had some time off work and Scott had wanted to go away and we went up north. Like I think, I think we'd up for like five days and we'd been up there for three and Susan's cousin had texted me. He said, oh, we're all going to go out in Glasgow on Saturday. Do you want to come? Scott was obviously over my shoulder watching it. And I was like, oh, yeah, sounds really good. Like, of course, that'd be great. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, like, why not? And he's like, why do you not want to spend time with me? I was like, because we've just spent like five consecutive days together. I'm going to go out. So that was an argument. And then he said to me, um, I just feel like you don't want to hang out with me. And I was like, oh, my God, here it is. And I was like, because I don't. I was like, I do, I, I do not want to spend any more of my time with you ever. And it all just sort of came. And I think he was quite shocked and I was shocked. And 
like you know he, I can't really remember he was like what and it was this awful like screaming shouting sobbing match and I remember like I tried to go to the bathroom and he was like following me into the bathroom trying like not to let me close the door and stuff and I was like get like away from me it's like I sort of like found my I don't know inner strength again or whatever and I remember sitting in the bathroom and I could hear him going mental outside and I was like if you can get through this 12 hours it's going to be a really shit 12 hours if you can get through this like things for you are going to be infinitely better so I remember he like stormed out. It was like three in the morning by this point. point he stormed out. I was frantically trying to find him my phone and like when the next train back down to Edinburgh was or how I could get to Edinburgh. But at the same, I remember at the same time being a bit worried because he had always kind of said or suggested how we might behave if like if we were to ever break up and he had stormed off and he wouldn't answer his phone. And part of me did think like, I wonder if he's done something to hurt himself. I started to walk to the train station. I was like, I'm going to sleep there for four hours, however long I need to sleep there until the train comes. And I bumped into him on the way back. So I ended up going back to the room, like went to sleep, I say sleep, sort of snooze for a couple hours and woke up in the morning and he just pretended like everything was fine. And like, you know, or like, are we still going to do that thing today? And I was like, no. I was like, I'm going home. And he's like, what? And I remember he tried to fight it again. I was like, I'm going home. Like, I'm going to go get the train. And he's like, well, you're not getting the train. I'm taking you home. So then came, like, the most awkward, horrible four and a half hour drive ever. Um, so one of the things I really vividly remember is, like, I've I've never really had, like, a, that great a body image, I guess. And it was, like, made worse throughout the relationship. He, you know, made comments about it, maybe about my weight and stuff. And I remember he was in the car and he was like, ugh, and he was like, and we're going to break up and you're going to go away and you're going to lose weight and be like a size eight and I'm going to have to look at you like being all hot and you're not going to be with me. I didn't want him to come to my house. So I phoned my mum, like, I don't know, what is it about when you hear your mum's voice and you just instantly start crying? So I managed to kind of compose myself a little bit and she was like, what's wrong? So I asked her to come and get me, basically like a meeting point. And she picked me up. And I was just like hysterically sobbing and she was like, you know, what's going on? And I just, I remember saying, um, for the last like four years, I knew that all I needed to do to make myself happy was this. I just needed to like end it and I couldn't. And I think I felt weak, like how could you not have just done this sooner? I got um, home and... I think he tried, he tried to call and I said, look, I just, I need you to not speak to me at the minute. And then I went through to see Susan again. So she took me out and we just ate loads of like carbs and had a really nice time or, you know, as nice a time we could have. I was like really, I was crying. I remember being really upset, but actually that was like the most liberating experience of my life, you know? And then he tried to phone once the next day and he was like, I really think you've made the wrong decision. Let's talk about this. And I said, I've absolutely not made the wrong decision and I really need you to not speak to me. And to be fair to him, he never did again. And like he immediately like blocked me on Facebook. I didn't hear from him ever again and haven't ever since. 
I mean, it sounds obviously so corny and like cliche and stuff, but I very quickly just felt this like overwhelming sense of like relief and liberated and stuff, you know? Like I could, okay, your life starts again now. You have it back and it's yours. Um, so, I mean, the breakup was great. <laughs> I didn't even think about a guy for at least a year after that. I just wanted, I mean, being on my own was like the most, that, I think that year, like the year and a half after that has probably been, and since then actually, but particularly that year and a half after that, it's been, it was been like the best time of my life. I felt compromised after the relationship. I was worried that it changed the person I was, that it would change my view on how relationships should be. What if I entered in a relationship with someone else and I, like, you know, what if I was horrible to them in some way because this had been, like, a learned behaviour? And it didn't. But although it, I find it interesting to think it's a whole sliding door scenario, isn't it? If I had never taken his phone number out of that book, if I had thought, well, that's too soon, I don't want to be your girlfriend, would that person that I am now be the same would it and and the thing is that like you know I love the person that I am now and I think it's people's go-to answer is but you know but, but it's brought you to where you are now and you're really happy now I'm like yes I am very happy but if I could not have gone through those four years like I'm pretty sure I would have still been happy <laughs> I've had friends who've got up gone through breakups since then and they're like they are awful and I've been probably through one more standard breakup since and it was really really sad but the number of times that people say like um now that I'm single now that I'm alone and they always use the word alone but I can categorically say the most alone I've ever felt was in a relationship and the most loved and cared for and supported I have ever felt has been as a single person When you think of an abusive relationship, you think of, like, a woman with two black eyes, like, cowering, like, in a bathroom, like, locked away or whatever. And I never, at the time, identified it as an abusive relationship. It was a very unhappy relationship. And it wasn't until after someone had said, like, you know, go easy on yourself, you've just come out of an abusive relationship. And I was like, was that what that was? And, I mean, it was... 90% 90% of the time it was emotional and verbal abuse. Occasionally it was physical, but that it was rare. Kind of. And it's funny, I was speaking to someone the other day, um, and this is why I decided to talk about this today. I was talking to them about self-confidence and how sometimes I feel that I lack it. And generally, I think outwardly, most people think that I'm a confident person. But inside, I sometimes really do suffer with that. And he said, normally that'll stem from some form of trauma, trauma that you've had in your life. And I knew immediately, like, that is it. Do you know? So it's been significant, but I, ho- I just hope it's not. And how would I ever know? That it's, it's never changed, like, the, the me at my core and the person that I was always going to be, that, like, you know? Do you, do you feel you fully recognise now what the trauma it was? And I say that because you said a bunch of things that seemed, and maybe I'm wrong, but seemed to belittle what it really was. Yeah, and it's him. Um, for some reason, like, 
and this is the main reason I didn't want to use my, my real name today. I feel like, I don't know whether this is something that, he, like, he's made me maybe feel, but I feel like people think I'm making it up. Like, I don't know, and I don't know why I think that. Or, like, surely if it was that bad, you would have just left him. I didn't identify it as an abusive relationship until I was out on it, out of it, until somebody else pointed it out to me. I rarely talk about it because I think people's going to think it sounds like attention-seeking or... I don't know. And I don't know why I think that. Could it be shame? Yeah, like, I think it probably is shame because I don't believe this anymore, or I hope I don't, but for a long time I felt like such a weak person. And I like to think that I'm quite strong and strong-willed and I'll stand up for what I believe in. I'm like, but how, how can you say that when you can even, like, stand up for yourself? for like four years, do you know? <sighs> Nobody really knew the extent of it or what was going on. I found out later after that two of my friends had spoken to their mums and had said, we don't know what to do about this. Do, like, do we try to do something? A lot of people said like, you know, she needs to come to that decision in her own time. And I think, from my experience, if I was to get come across anyone who was in any form of similar situation, I would kidnap them. I would honestly just run in and kidnap them and take them away from that. But then I think, is there something about the fact that I did eventually manage to take myself out of that situation that means that I can cope with it. Because maybe if somebody else, if the only way that I could get myself out of that situation was that somebody else had to forcibly remove me from it, maybe I would feel even more of like a failure or weak. I try to think like, is there, is there any way that I can take a learning or a positive out of that experience? I don't find it hard to talk about because it upsets me. I find it hard to talk about because I think people will immediately assume that I'm weak. That I'm a weak person because I let that happen to me. And I also like feel so sad for my 19 to 23 year old self. I feel really sad for her. But she turned it all right. <laughs> she says through like tears sobbing but she did I was very touched by Abby's story it unfortunately illustrates the consequences and the impact breakups or difficult relationships can have on each and every one of us. She got herself out of that abusive relationship as soon as she was ready. It might have felt like an eternity to her and I understand her sadness for her 19-year-old self, but really, she did it as fast as she could. I sincerely hope she will soon find enough kindness in her to look at this situation with compassion and understanding, not with shame and guilt. 
That battle was long and difficult, but it's still a battle that she won. And it's a huge, huge win, Abby. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Breaking Point Podcast. We're reaching the end of that second season, only one episode left. I just wanted to let you know I won't be able to release the next one in two weeks. It'll be a bit longer this time, but it shouldn't be too long. You know where to find this podcast on social media, on Facebook and Twitter. I repeat it every week, so I won't insult your intelligence once again this time. The only thing I would ask today, though, is maybe to talk about this podcast and the interviews that you've heard around you. Maybe with a friend who went through a difficult relationship. It'll be nice to inspire more people to be open about their experiences. If you want to share your story, please write to the Breaking Point Podcast at gmail.com. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I do not know if there will be a third season. I mean, I really want to, but it turns out I'm going to be a dad soon, which is so freaking awesome. But I've heard that apparently I might not get my usual 10 hours of sleep ever again, which can obviously compromise that podcast. I will keep you posted in the next episode, though. <laughs>